Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to your Friday, December 11th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. Goalie week continues, and Bobby Taylor, former Flyers goaltender, former Flyers analyst, radio and television, the partner of Gene Hart for many, many years, will join us on this episode, not only to talk about his goaltending career, starting from when he was just a little kid, all the way through his broadcasting career, both with the Flyers and Tampa Bay Lightning. Such great insight uh, from Bobby Taylor coming up in this episode. If you missed any of the previous episodes with Marty Buran, whether you missed the Michael Layton episode, which was last Friday, Robert Esch on Monday, or you missed this last Wednesday's episode where we spoke with Brian Boucher, you can check all those out on your iTunes queue list. Uh, if you could leave us a rating and review, we always appreciate that as well. Uh, quick before we get to Bobby Taylor in this episode, the latest on the NHL news and Pierre Lebrun from TSN and The Athletic reporting on the uh, divisions that will take place for the 2021 Four division realignment should the league and players get a deal done, which looks like it's getting very close to imminent. The Flyers division, uh, it was talked about earlier and some some reporting had it that the Flyers and the Penguins wouldn't be in the same division, but uh, it looks like the NHL is reconsidered. The divisions would be as follows. Of course, the all-Canadian division, all seven Canadian teams uh, in one division because of the border issue. Uh, the West, if you will, division would be Anaheim, Arizona, Colorado, Dallas, the Kings, San Jose, St. Louis, and Vegas. Uh, then a Midwest, I guess, division would be Carolina, Columbus, Detroit, Chicago, Florida, Minnesota, Nashville, and Tampa Bay. And then the, I guess, Northeast division would be the Boston Bruins, Buffalo Sabres, New Jersey Devils, New York Islanders, New York Rangers, the Pittsburgh Penguins, Washington Capitals, and the Philadelphia Flyers. Boy, that is a tough division. When you go based on last year, obviously Boston had the best record in the NHL through the regular season. Uh, the Islanders are a team that made it to a conference final. The Rangers made the bubble, uh, but are a team on the rise. Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins, probably a team on the fall, but still a good team. The Washington Capitals won the Metropolitan Division a year ago, and the Philadelphia Flyers. going to be uh, tough sledding in that division. And it looks like, as things stand right now, those teams would only play each other, play the teams in their division, at least to start the year, or maybe, maybe midway through the year. We're not sure. Uh, that proposed realignment, according to Pierre Lebrun, uh, was discussed on the Board of Governors call, which happened yesterday afternoon. Uh, amongst other things, the league said on the call that if all went well in season planning with the NHLPA, a Board of Governors vote hopefully will be held by the end of next week. So we're all trying to get clarification and the official stamp of approval for the 2021 season. Uh, perhaps that comes as early as next week, by the end of next week, and teams will be reporting for training camp not too soon thereafter. The Flyers would report, according to the uh, critical dates calendar, January 3rd for preparation of a January 13th season. So just a 10-day training camp with no preseason games. Fingers are crossed. Toes are crossed. We're all chomping at the bit to get hockey back. And we can't wait for that to happen. And at this point, it looks like there's a very, very, very good chance that is going to happen. I, for one, like many of you, I'm ready. Uh, and I'm also ready right now for you to hear this conversation with former Flyers goaltender and broadcaster Bobby Taylor. Bill Meltzer and I had a chance to catch up with Bobby Taylor earlier this week, and here's that conversation. Goalies Week continues on Flyers Daily, and we got a guy that played in the NHL with, played for the Flyers, played with some of the great goaltenders, played against a lot of great goaltenders. Saw a lot of great goaltenders, not only in his playing career, but also his broadcasting career. I'm very happy to have joined us. He actually saw yours truly and <laughs> called him, oddly enough, in the Pepsi shootout in 1982. <laughs> Bobby Taylor. Chief, how are you? I'm doing great, guys. <laughs> really good. I see I'm living like your wall behind you. That's awesome with all those masks. I, I got I got a Bernie one up there, but I need a chief mask. Oh, yeah. Do you I, still have any? It's hanging in my my uh, favorite uh, recreation place, Hat Tricks. <laughs> <laughs> and Coatsy can attest to that. <laughs> uh, you look well. 
Um, how, how are you? How has life been? I know uh, you were with the Tampa Bay Lightning for the last several years, and uh, you're enjoying, I guess, a kind of a semi-retirement now, and Tampa won the Cup, obviously. But how, how's Bobby Taylor doing these days? Doing great. I mean, it was pretty fantastic. You know, um, that's the second Cup that uh, Lightning have won since I've been here. This is the funny part. I was talking with Espo the other day, and I said, you know what's really weird, Phil? I said, I've lived in Tampa longer than I lived anywhere else in my life. Like this, starting this summer or this fall would be my 27th year down here. That just, which blew my mind. I didn't, I didn't think I was that old. <laughs> <laughs> but it, um, you know, it, it's, it's been great. I mean, they, we had, a, you know, because of the pandemic and, and COVID-19, we, it's been a really different kind of a, a uh, celebration, you know, as everybody's well chronicled, we had that uh, boat parade which was kind of apropos for Tampa because we're all around water and um, people went nuts and the the cup hasn't left here it's been gone everywhere uh, you know with restrictions but still it's uh, it's funny because one of the biggest things guys that like myself that have won it um, we never got to see our name on it for gosh sometimes a year two years later Uh, but here because they got it signed very or got it uh, engraved very quickly the players got to see their the, their name on the cup, you know, like within a month. <laughs> so it was it was kind of cool. And and everywhere you go, I, I was just reading a little bit of an article in one of a, our papers down here. Uh, John Cooper was talking about. He says uh, t- walking in with the Stanley Cup is like walking in with Mick Jagger. <laughs> he says nobody gives a rat's about you, but they sure would appreciate Mick Jagger, and that's what the cup dr- drives that emotion in them. Um. Over your years of playing chief, playing broadcasting, and, and just watching the game, do you, would you say that it, it's fair to say that no position in sports has changed more than, than the position of goalie in hockey, the equipment, the technique, the mental approach, everything? Oh, by far. I agree with you. You know, I, I get that so often about that because the biggest thing for me in the change in that position is the equipment. Uh, I can remember – Oh gosh, this was years ago. Somebody asked Ken Dryden, Montreal great goaltender, and of course he's now in politics. But he about why you guys always stood up. You know why didn't you guys play the butterfly style like they play like today? <laughs> and he said because we had no equipment from the waist up, <laughs> and that thing hurts when it hits you. And and he, and I started thinking about that, and it's right because I remember uh, when Ben Bishop was still here, uh, we did a little. Uh, thing on on goalie equipment then and now and uh the, i had still had my old stuff back and uh, actually i had to go and take it down off the wall at hat tricks but anyway we uh we we uh, compared goalie equipment and uh, ben was looking at me like i was crazy he said i would never play goal if this was what i had to wear he said you guys wore this you know because we hardly had any equipment from the waist up we had uh arm pads were like uh those padded underwear that you wear when you go hunting to keep warm. Um, you had a, I had a catcher's belly pad and uh, that's why we tried to catch everything. And of course, nothing around the net from here up, there was nothing. And the mask came in and the basically overall in the early seventies when everybody started wearing one. And um, so it, it was, he, he just couldn't believe it. He just, he says, I knew it was bad, but I didn't know it was that bad. And I think that's the biggest thing because now, you know, um, well, Patrick Roth's goalie coach at the time in Montreal was the one that really started everything to change in equipment. He wanted you to have all this padding on your shoulders and your arms so that when you went down on your butterfly, you were one complete block. So there was no holes. So, so it made, they mainly became blockers rather than catchers or, or movement guys. And um, so they... Um, that went on for a long time. And then finally they, you know, a few years back, they decided to limit the size of the pads. And, Cause I know our pads are like 12 inches wide and they had them up to around 16, 17 inches, I think at one time. And then they, the hue and cry from the goalies that said, Oh man, we got to move it. When they're moving it down to 13, we're going to get hurt and everything. I said, yeah, no kidding. But uh, it was, it was to me, that's the biggest difference because there's no fear. Now they all look like robocops. You know, when you take the jersey off, the equipment they got on. And, uh, you know, they're great athletes. And 
the interesting thing too, guys, when I first broke into hockey in the Chicago organization, the goalie was not big. He was like 5'10", maybe 5'11". I was 6'1", and I remember the general manager, um, Tommy Ivan and, and, and uh, Billy Ray was the coach. Every day they'd see me at training camp and they'd say, are you sure you're not a defenseman? <laughs> because I was six one and 180 pounds. So trying to convert was, you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause I, I was bigger at the time, but now I know I talked to some of our scouts. They don't even uh, look at guys that are under six feet. You got to be six, two, six, three or up, you know? And of course we got a, a great one here in Vasilevsky and you guys got a really good looking young goalie in, uh, in uh, 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 Carter Hart, that that kid's going to be really good. You're, you're so right back, you know, not to go as, as small, if you will, or short as Darren Pang, not everybody was Darren Pang, but you guys got like Mike Vernon under six foot, great goaltenders all around the league that were under six foot. And it was probably around 1983 or 84 when, when the equipment advance started, when Vaughn started with um, an upper chest protector and arm, you know, it made it a chesty, a one piece. But I, I remember even when I played, in, in the late seventies, wearing the two piece chest pair and it, and it would get wet. And it was like, it was just like a heavy shirt. It, yeah. it, your arms would be mangled. And I'm just playing might hockey with that at that time. Uh, but, but you're right. And, and if you go down, everything's below the crossbar. Um, Chief, when you're playing with Bernie, um, he's one of the greats, you know, and you don't get a lot of action when you're playing with Bernie as the backup. What was it about him? Was it his preparation? Was it his reflexes? It's got to be probably a combination of all these things. But what made Bernie great? Wow, that's a good question. You know what? Um, I've always said he had the best feet I've ever seen in hockey, even to this day. His, he moved his feet. And he would always joke that he couldn't catch a cold. He would kind of block it all the time. And he said that, I wish you could teach me how to catch the puck. You know, we would always go back and forth. But I think his positioning. If you watch Bernie and watch tapes of Bernie, rarely did you find him out of position. He always was square to the puck. He, he, one of the key things that a lot of people don't understand in, in our position is that, you know, everywhere else, you've got to be very aggressive. You've got to be go after this guy, go this guy and all this. In goaltending, you have to be patient. And that's kind of a, a, an odd thing to do in our, in our game. I mean, to tell people you've got to be patient. You have to find that puck before you move. And, you know, if you're moving around before you find it, then you're moving around way too much. Yeah. Bernie was so good at finding that puck and then moving to it really very quickly. And, and um, you know, he, uh, he, he had some really idiot, weird idiosyncrasies. But still, when you watch him out there, I always talk about goalies that I want in the net when I really need a win. And uh, he was one of them. Boy, I'll tell you, I, I know Clarky and I used to always get into this a couple of times about I said, you know, we don't win those cups without Bernie. You know, I mean, against Boston, I can still remember some of those kick saves he made on Kenny Hodge. And I all, and Hodge lives down here now along with Espo, so I keep reminding them about that every, <laughs> every chance I get. And, uh, you know, his feet were incredible because back then everybody wanted to score low, right? Yeah. You know, now you have to go high all the time because of the way they play. But because the goalies were stand up, they always wanted to go low you rarely saw Bernie get beat with his feet. Every goalie, of course, you know, it doesn't matter what year it is. Everyone, everybody wants to play. Right. Yeah. And there are no, there are no goalie coaches. They didn't, they, they, they didn't exist back when you were, back when you were playing. And, you know, you were competing with uh, Michelle Bellhuman was a good goalie in his own right. Yeah. And, you know, the year before Bernie came back, you know, you and he played, I think about the same number of games. Dougie Favell was, was still there at the time, you know, how was it how was it mentally where you have a, a guy who's kind of knocking on the door competing with you and the only the only way to you know you can hold your spot is the play i mean how much of it was was focusing on, on practice and just trying to be ready that was it uh, you, you had to do that i mean uh you know and it was really funny our attitude back there especially with those teams it was it, you know you, you always heard the old saying about you play for the crest in front not the name on the back and, you know, it, it, we never took that lightly. We, we really believed that. I mean, we were a team uh, that was very, very close-knit, and we really believed in that. And case in point, I remember uh, when we played the Russians. I remember when the, the great game where they walked off and everything, and 
And um, by the way, we should have beat them 10-1 if it wasn't for Tretiak. He was incredible. Yeah. And, I, and I remember, like, I was supposed to play half, and that was when Vernie was hurt, and or Stevenson was going to play the first half. I was going to play the second half. And I can remember um, we come in, and, and um, we, we, we were shutting them out coming into uh, in the middle of the period. And Freddie says, I'm going to leave him in till the second end of the second period to see how it goes. And of course they didn't score. We were out, we all shot them something like 43 to 13 or something like that. It was just annihilation in a way. And he came to me and he said, you know, Steph's got us, is working on a shutout. You know, do you think, would it be okay if we left him in? Would you be upset about that? I, I looked at him and I said, well, what do you want me to say, Freddie? Of course he can stay in, you know, you, how many times? I mean, at that time, the Russians hadn't lost. They tied Montreal and they tied Buffalo. And I think they hammered the Rangers something like 7-3 or something like that. So this was a really a big game. This was really big something in, in, the, in hockey history. And, and I, we just, we never thought about that. We just thought that, you know what, the, both, the end result was what we wanted. And who, how we got there and who got us there, we didn't care. We were just happy. Yeah, it's a difficult thing for a goaltender because there's only one crease, you know. Yeah. It, it really is a tough situation because players, that that's an easy mantra to live. And as a team guy, you're going, yeah, I want the team success. But for me to get in sometimes, I need a guy to stumble. And that comes at a cost of team success. Um, Chief, you end up in broadcasting. God, you're so good as an analyst. You, through all your years here in Philadelphia and then down in Tampa, working with Gene Hart. Um, but before I get to Gene, I, I want to ask you about um, the, the first moment that broke my heart in my life was the loss of Pelly. Uh, I was 12 years old when it happened. Uh, I, I still have the newspaper articles. Uh, but this young Swede comes along. Bernie was his idol. Uh, he was tremendous. His quickness was something that I don't think we ever saw explosiveness like Pelly Lindbergh. He comes in and he gets he's celebrated. He wins some awards. He was tremendous. And then the loss of Pelly. So first comment on the player that you saw in Pelly Lindbergh, the goaltending and the style, and then what the loss and was like uh, from your perspective as you, as you went through it. First of all, it was a shock because Gump wasn't a guy that uh, really partied a lot at all. You know, he was very, very, um, he was very quiet, but he, but he was really, you know, he was really into his training and his diet and all that. And that's why it was such a shock when, when, when uh, it was alcohol was involved, but Gump was so quick. I don't think up until then I had ever witnessed a goalie that was that quick. I mean, he, I don't know how he did it sometimes. Well, they a video mean, game, didn't it? Yeah. I mean, he was, he He's playing I mean, double speed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he could move from side to side, and and you looked like he'd be down and out, and then bang! All of a sudden, he was there. His lateral quickness was incredible, and uh, you know, and and he had that personality that everybody really wanted to play for, him. and and that's that's a key too. I mean, the mental part of this game not only just sits for the for the goaltender, but. Players really thrive on that. When they see that guy battling like crazy, that guy never quitting, and you know, and sometimes it's uh, it's a, you know it doesn't work out as well as you'd like it to have happen, but that really permeates itself all the way through the lineup, and that's what Gump had. I thought Gump, you know, Gump battled all the time, and that made the other guy say, "Listen, he's working that hard. We got to work that hard." And that was I remember um, the late Ross Lonsbury uh, would always talk about it, you know. And Rabbit was such a good player. And he'd always say, you know, I can remember him talking to people. And they say, well, how come you guys work so hard? And Rabbit said, you know what? When you see our best player, Bobby Clark, outworking you all the time, you're yeah. embarrassed if you don't work as hard as he does. So that's why we have to work twice as hard just to make sure that we're as good or, or keep up with the effort that Clarkie always did. And he was 100% right. And so that was another thing about Gump that – when guys really want to play for you, that's that's really a bonus for you because you know that they're going to do their best and they're going to they're going to take that extra mile. They're going to make that extra dive. They're going to go down and block a shot, you know, uh, which hurts like crazy for those guys as well. So that was a special thing about Gump. Yeah, the thing is too, if a team knows that if it makes a mistake, you got a guy back there that can that can make a save. You can play the game as a skater much more free of mind 
knowing you got a guy that can bail you out. If you don't have that, if every mistake you make in this game and you're pulling it out of the back of your net, you can't play this game. It's yeah. impossible to play this game. But if you have that back there and knowing that, that's playing free of mind, creative, and then all of a sudden you got a, a special team. The thing about this game, it's so fast. If you have to think of what you're doing, you're, it's too late. Yeah, It has to come automatically. It almost has to be like muscle memory. And if you got that guy back there, as you just mentioned, you got that guy back there, you don't have to worry about that. You mm-hmm. just have to make sure that you're, you're thinking, you know what you have to do as a player, whether you're a defenseman, whether you're a winger or a center, you already know that. And then if you do make that mistake, which it, it's, it, mm-hmm. it's, every sport is a game of mistakes. We all know that. But if you know that you've got that guy back there that's going to erase 99% of your mistakes, man, how easy is that to play the game? You know, mentally, you just have to go out there and play your best. Yeah, you're going to get beat every once in a while, but who cares? I got that guy behind me. And that's what was really good about Bernie. I mean, I can remember Ben always coming in and saying, you know, he would only average 22 to, you know, 23 shots a game, maybe 18 shots a game. And he'd come in and he'd say, what? You guys have no confidence in me. We didn't get any shots. And <laughs> It would be really funny about that, but it was, that's the thing. He was so good that geez, we could do whatever we needed to and wanted to. And, and we knew that guy was going to get him all the time. And that was, that's a big part of goaltending. You got that confidence. The players have that confidence in you. Yep. You're really going to have a good team. We got that here in Tampa with this kid Vasilevsky. He's Ooh. incredible. And I'll tell you what, Philly's got that now with that Carter Hart. Uh, Chief, I remember going to the to the Coliseum and watching Ron Hextall work on his puck handling. It was a treat just for that because he could he could take the puck behind the net and he could hit the same spot on the wall over and over and over again, you know. And and the way that that Hexy revolutionized the position with his, with his puck handling, I mean, what do you think that the that that how did how did that help change the game? I mean, there were other guys. Eddie Jockman would come out of the net, right? And, and Barrasso was a good puck handler. Really, till till Marty Brodeur came along, there wasn't another goalie who could handle the puck quite quite like Hexy. So, how did that you know help transform the game? Well, you know what? I'll tell you what Mark Couch said to me. He, you know, and how he. Uh, this was another thing. I'll just transgress for a minute. I can, re- you know, how everybody gets already pumped up about how defensemen are playing 25, 26 minutes a game. I asked how he one time when I saw him in New Jersey. Uh, when he was scouting and I said, you and Brad McCrimmon played a lot of minutes all the time. And I said, How? he says, what did you average? He says, one year he averaged 36 minutes a game, <laughs> 36 minutes a game. I looked at him. He says, nah, come on. He says, no, chief, I did. But what made it easier for him was because he had Hexy back there. He said, I never had to play with my face in the glass because I, the puck would come in, and if you didn't have a goalie back there that could really forecheck or, or could really handle the puck, that team would just forecheck like crazy. I know there were teams, and I've talked to coaches since then over the years, that when they played against the Flyers and Hextall there, they had to devise their game plan to keep the puck away from Hextall so they could get that. We were a much more dump and chase type of a game back then, so they had to keep it away from Hexy so they could get in and, 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 and get the forecheck and get the zone time that they needed. But Mark said half the time the puck would be dumped in. I'd just go back to the top of the circle and the puck would come right to me and away we go again. So a guy like that, and Ben Bishop is probably the closest guy now today yeah. that could do that. And uh, it, it, and then it, what it does too, it helps out young defensemen. Now I know Philly's got a lot of young defensemen. When you have a guy back there that can move the puck, you, it really makes it a lot easier for them because like I said, the one thing that you really have a tough time to, if you're a defenseman, is having to play with that face in the glass all the time. When they're hammering you in there, you can't get around and see that trouble coming. That That is really an important factor. So, actually, being able to do that was, he was he was a magician with that puck. I couldn't get over it half the time. It, 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 I remember just the effect on youth hockey. When he comes in, into the league with all the puck handling, and it's not only that with Hexy, it's also the attitude that he brought to the game. Because to me, he was one of those guys that was really um, you could you could outward in his aggression, and like you said it earlier, Chief. You know the position is a reactive position; it's not a, a proactive position. You're right. not reacting, and you know, goalie coaches all through everybody's life that's played the position say, "Hold your edges, hold your edges. Don't if you move first, you die." That's yes. basically what they're telling you, right? Yeah. You're gonna look like a fool if you bite first, and you know Hexy comes out and. 
he's going into guys and he's aggressive. I mean, he's hitting guys. I remember the effect on young goalies all around youth hockey was, oh my goodness, this is like, we always, as goaltenders, you always want to get out of the crease and hit somebody and be aggressive, right? Yeah. And and he was doing it and he was spectacular. The, the, the effect on the game and, and making just those quick, even just a 10 foot pass on a rim that he can knock down and Ben Bishop, Carey Price are in, incredible at it right now. Um, when you look at the, the NHL now, Chief, um, and you look at, you know, just not just goaltending, but the league, the, the way these players can shoot, the magical things they can do with the puck. These guys, when their kids are watching YouTube videos of these incredible stick handling moves and dangles, and they're doing it all, coming to the NHL and having this kind of skill. When you watch all this skill that's on display and the goaltending that's on display, is the game, I know it's as skilled as it's ever been, but is it as good as it's ever been? That's a great question. Um, it's faster because they don't have the red line. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to, we have, you can't, uh, they don't have a two line pass. So they have to, you have to wait for the puck all the time. You can't, you know, the, the, the hockey today, in a sense, they're playing with all that regrouping and circling. If you go back in your memory bank, it, it was like playing the, the Russians way back in the seventies. Cause that's what they, they did. And, and what hurt them when we played them was that we waited for them because they didn't know what to do then because we don't, we were such a forechecking, but for me, the speed and the skill is incredible, but the the, phys- the the physical part of the game is harder now because because of that speed, because that you you know you, you, it's not a stop and start leg anymore, and it's more of a circling game. And you know the only guy that I can ever remember that never was a stop and start player throughout all his career back in the day was Ivan Kowalye, and uh, you know he's he he would never start; he would circle just like they do now, but. I think we kind of us old farts just kind of moan about the uh, the lack of physical play, like you you know the touching of the hands uh, for hooking and it, it kind of it, hockey to me is still a very tough sport. It's probably the toughest sport. If you talk to any other athlete too, they'll tell you that. And you know it was physical. It's fast. It's got skill. It's got everything you want to keep you on the edge of your seat. But I think what's happening now is the physical part of the game is kind of losing a little bit, mainly because, A, that speed coming through the neutral zone, it's very hard. Defensemen have a tougher time to stay up at the blue line. Um, but, and if you, a lot of times too, when you catch guys with, the, with their head down, I remember talking with Stevie Eiserman when he was here with us. Um, he said he couldn't get over how guys come through that neutral zone with their head down so often because he says, I would get, if I did that, my dad would give me hell all the time because he says, you got to keep your head up, son. You got to keep your head up. It's not their fault that they're going to crank you because that's what they want. You know, and I think we lose a little bit on that end of it, the physical part of it, but the speed and the skill is still amazing. But I think the, the, the physical part to me creates the animosity, which creates the excitement, which creates the grit to the game. And, you know, I mean, I know. I mean, Coach and I talk about this all the time. He calls me up and starts yelling at me all the time about this game. <laughs> we can all wear tutus now, he says. And all that. But it, 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 sometimes I think when we are, if we're faster and more skilled, we lose a little part of the other part of the game that people get out of their seats for. If you look at what our sport does, there's three things, or two things, basically, that really bring people out of the seat. There's three. A goal scored, a big hit in a fight. That what brings people out of their seats. We got one of them, and the other two are slowly going by the wayside. I want to see uh, a huge save on that list, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's our union talking. <laughs> yes, I got the card. <laughs> uh, related to that, Chief, um, you know, there, there was always an aura about coming to the spectrum, right? Going, Going to the forum going to the Boston garden, you know, the, obviously this year, the playoffs are played in the bubble and it was, was special circumstances, but you know, is there still a, a home ice advantage for teams, particularly going into you know, the playoff environment? Oh, I think so. I, I, you know why? Because when you have the crowd, the crowd really pumps you up. I, you know, I mean, that was another thing, you know, like it was, 
I've talked to a lot of the guys used to come in. John Davidson used to tell me all the time when the Rangers would come in, they'd have fun in the bus and be laughing to that. As soon as they hit that Walt Whitman bridge, the bus started shaking like that thing, those beds that you put quarters in, you know, they just shake like the Niagara massage type of thing. He says, and it got really, really quiet. As soon as we hit that bridge, because the spectrum was right there, you could see it and they knew what they were in for. And, uh, you know, I remember uh, Mickey Redmond when he played for the Red Wings, uh, you know, he, uh, he, he said, got, we, we would lose guys in warm-up. They'd get hurt in warm-up, so they wouldn't have to play us in the spectrum. And, and that, that home ice mystique, uh, I still think it's, uh, it's there to a degree. I don't think it's as, as pronounced as it was because Boston had that little band box in there, you know, that, and, you know, the big bad Bruins. And, and in Montreal, Montreal's speed was the one that always uh, terrified everybody. That's why Freddie Shearer didn't want us to watch the warning skates and watch Montreal to see how fast they were. <laughs> <laughs> to get us disappointed before we even played the game. But I, I think the, the key thing of it is, is, that, is the fans really, when you get really exuberant and fans that are into it, like Philly always had for years, you know, uh, uh, Boston Rangers, they get into it. You know, the Canadian fans uh, like the Toronto and Montreal back in the day, you know, I always said that when you go in there, you might as well watch the game in a library. They were so quiet. And, uh, but for me, that's what really gives the, you an extra gen, uh, ounce of gener of, uh, of energy for me that fan base that one that wants to really get you going and and they they really really can help you out and, and you test players players will tell you that too when we get home and people are cheering for us and getting us going we seem to find that extra gear to go chief too um the, the effect of fans on a goaltender is is another one of those things does a goalie you know the guys playing now they're so mentally superior they're they do so much uh, preparation mentally and they the, the way they're able to reset uh, but throughout your entire playing career your broadcasting career because last week was was a really big day in nhl history it was 25 years from when patrick waugh led into the nine goals against the detroit red wings um and eventually goes to the bench crosses over his coach and then goes back to the gm and, and basically says i'm never going to play for you again and the Canadians have to trade him. Oddly enough, you know, to the Avalanche who had all those battles against Colorado. <laughs> so Detroit did them no favors in lighting him up for nine that night. But uh, I digress. Uh, in all your years, when you look at the goaltending, uh, who's your top maybe one or two guys that you've ever seen uh, play the position? Like Patrick Waugh is one of those guys, and, you, and he revolutionized the position with Benny Allaire. You, you referred to that earlier in the butterfly, which, which Benoit created there with Patrick and really kind of, led to where goaltending is now kind of a pioneer in that regard. Uh, so when you look back and, and you look at that, you know, one goalie for one game, best goalies you've ever seen, who are they? Well, that's a great one. Well, Bernie, of course, uh, Jerry Cheevers, Jerry Cheevers was really big in the big games in the playoff games. You know, yeah. he could care less during the regular season if you won seven, six, but uh, in the playoffs, he really was tough to beat. Kerry uh, uh, Price, I mean, for years, to me, Carey Price was the epitome of goaltending. And, and, and right below him was the king, Henry Lundqvist. They made save after save. They could go, and how does he ever get to that one, you know? And they were really, really good, in my mind. Um, I thought, you know, that to, I'm, Patrick Waugh was really good. Patrick Waugh was a fiery guy. He was a lot like Hexy. Yeah. He really was. And he was a fiery guy. And I'll tell you what. You remember the team? I, I don't know, I'm not sure of the years now, but they had that youngest team, the Canadians. I think it was, had to be in the 80s where they had so many young guys on that team and, and they and they ended up going and winning the Stanley Cup. And they might have been, it might have been the 888 or something like 87 or somewhere around there when they beat Calgary in the finals. They had the youngest team. They oh, won. 89, Bill? Uh, well, Cal yeah, Calgary won 89 and 90. The Oilers won. Yeah. yeah. It was the one where, where they won the most overtime games in the playoffs they set the record montreal for the most overtime games in the playoffs and uh they that he was unbelievable patrick yeah. oh and, and, and wall was a rookie that was 86 yeah 86 yeah, yeah that was it then you know then they and won then, again in 93 yeah 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 and those guys stand out i mean to me uh it's an, it's incredible it's, it's a position that um it's hard it's hard to grasp onto now it's like when you change a game when you 
what I, I consider, when I look at a goalie, is it how many oh wows can you come up with? Because the way it's wide open now, you're going to have to come up with the oh wows very often. And we've got a few guys now that play this game like that. You know, like Quick was an oh wow guy. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa, and, a, uh, whoa what, what did he just do? <laughs> well, you know, we and this kid here, this Vasilevsky, I mean, oh. the, they see that saves all the time, that behind the back catch. Oh. Everybody says that was lucky. I says, you know, I watch him in practice. He does that stuff in practice. He's like a and, he's like a rubber band. Yeah, and he's big. You know, yeah. his flexibility is something. But I get to see him every day, so I, you know, I'm obviously a little bit more prejudiced mm-hmm. towards him. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, Carey Price is that way. He still is solid. I mean, think about it. You know, the Canadians have been awful for a long time, and Price would be getting 40 shots a game, and they'd still be in the hunt for the win, or even get the win. Lundqvist now. Um, a guy that's a little underrated in my mind that comes through in the playoffs where he was at Holtby for Washington. Yep. He came through for them in the playoffs. He was a pretty strong playoff player. Okay during the regular season, but in the playoffs, he was he, when you needed him. I know we played them in the Eastern Finals two years ago, and he shut us out the last two games. We had that 3-2 lead, and they won the last two games. We never scored a goal. He makes and that so- paddle save, and that wins in the cup. That yeah. desperation paddle, so that, that exactly that wins you the cup, in my, in my opinion. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, point. but you know what? Uh, and of course, you know the guy that started it all was Jacques Plant. Uh, you know, with you know, with the mask and the wandering out and stopping the puck and doing all that. He he was as good as anybody. Uh, and Glenn then Hall. my idol was Glenn Hall. I, I yeah. grew up. Uh, I was in the Chicago organization before the expansion came, and, and Glenn Hall and I, I. I knew him. I went to a first goalie school ever. He was the instructor. I mean, he was incredible. And here's the guy. Think about this though. This is what blows my mind. If people don't, I don't think people remember this or even know this. What did he play? Six hundred games or something? Yep. Without a mask. Never missed. <laughs> I know. Stunning. Without a mask. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> I remember when we beat Boston in the in the playoffs in Bo- in in, uh, in in the Stanley Cup in '74. Uh, um, somebody jumped over the glass and stole my mask, and we were going out to go practice the next day. And I and I and I said, Ah, I never wore a mask before. I went in there. I went in there for five minutes. Says I'm out of here. I'm not going out there without it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and they brought it back. Somebody brought it back and left it in a brown bag out by the ticket office in the old Spectrum. But uh, that's how how amazing that is about Glenn Hall and all those games without a mask. Not a lot of guys who can talk firsthand about the, uh, you know, being in Cherry Hill and, and the, the old Jersey Devils. What, what, what was that year, year plus there like for you? <laughs> well, you talked about how aggressive people were, you know, Hexy and, and, and I had over 100 minutes and penalties played for that team <laughs> as a goalie. But it was the Cherry Hill Arena. Um, we had the red line, and then there was this one line that was right, right before it, and it was about two or three feet from it, and it was a dark line because the pipes weren't really good. So the guys were playing, they thought that was the red line. So there was a lot of ICs before we even knew it. Uh, but we had a we had a small team. Um, we played seventy two games in twenty one weeks. Wow! Think about wow. That. Yeah, and we hardly played when football season was on. We kind of played up there, and then after Christmas was when I, I remember playing five games in five in six nights Oof. and uh, traveling. You know, and we all traveled by bus. And we had a, a, a school bus. They, they took out the last part of the old school bus and laid uh, plywood down and threw out uh, sleeping bags so that half the team could sleep and the other half the team could sit up. Well, guys love to play cards in that league. So the guys that play cards got to sit where you were supposed to sleep and all the rookies had to sit up front and sleep sitting up. So it was, it was a... I uh, mean, I couldn't figure out why I ever decided to go do that, <laughs> but uh, it was, it was an amazing life. And you know, you had $4 a day meal, meal money. We ate the Franks and beans for a pregame meal at Howard Johnson's all the time. All well, up the bus ride must've been brutal. Oh, <laughs> terrible. oh yeah. And, and $4 a day for meal money. We'd always save to get a six pack for beer coming after the game. So you lost money when you went on the road. Yeah. Post game was a, a liquid dinner after games, no doubt. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Chief, uh, you worked with uh, one of the absolute greats and 
you know, I was asked about Gene Hart the other day in an interview that I did. Um, and they and said, you know, what was it about Gene? And part of it was I grew up here and he was the voice of hockey for my childhood and into, you know, my my adulthood, young adulthood, if you would. Uh, but he was so good um, and he was so descriptive. He had his own language, his own vernacular. Um, his energy level was tremendous. What was it like for you um, to be the analyst, to sit next to Gene Hart all those years and not only uh, call great hockey, but call, you know, Philadelphia hockey and some enormous moments. What was it like working with, with Gene Hart? He taught me so much. And, and this is something I still tell some guys today about it. And, and the biggest thing that he taught me was preparation. So you get a lot of athletes that come into the booth, no matter what sport it is, because I played the game, I know the game. Well, not necessarily, because it's not, you have to have some background. You have to have certain things that back up what you're trying to say. You know, like I'm not a big stat guy, but stats will give you an indication of how things are and how guys are playing and, and you know, and all that. Uh, for me, the more background you know of a player, the more you can be more descriptive, the more you can be more uh, uh, intelligent in your analysis of how he plays and what he plays and why he does things. Um, Eddie Westfall, uh, I'll bring a name from the past, you know, the longtime Boston and New York Islander, great. Eddie Westfall gave me the two best pieces of advice when I ever came in. And uh, when I listened to him, I listened because he was, was a former player, but this is what Gene would, would pound into my head all the time. You don't have to tell them what happened. He says, they see that. Tell them why. This is what people want to know. They want to know why did that happen. And another thing he said was, if you constantly praise, you have no credibility. If you constantly criticize, you have no credibility. So you have to find that happy medium between the two. To, you know, to, you've got to, games are a mistake. So you have to point out the mistake that somebody made or the wrong decision somebody had to make. And your delivery is, has to be, a little bit tempered when you're doing it for a home team but then the next time he does something well you see when you're praising and there now you've got credibility this guy's going to call it the way it is he's going to tell you when you play great he's going to tell you how when you play badly and for me gene was really good at that you know and he was the one that really pounded that into my head you know be prepared just know everything you can about the other team and, and, and the other players because I've seen guys just show up and do games. They just think you just have to show up and do the game. Well, I, he had this sheet out here, and he had me do this all the time. I'd have the whole lineup on the lines with the size, how the guy got to the team, if he got traded, who he got traded for, uh, you know, all the trophies or whatever accomplishments he's had, you know, and then I would talk to the other teams, this, uh, you know, the broadcasters, a lot of, you know, How's he playing now? Oh, he's not doing this well. He's got kind of a bum knee, yada, yada, yada. So you get all this information so that Rick Peckham uh, told me this one. And he's this way. Uh, he was my play-by-play uh, uh, play -play partner here for you. He says, doing a hockey game is like studying for an exam in school. You're really not sure what's going to happen, but you've got to have knowledge for every little bit of thing that could pop up. And that's what Gene did got me to do and that was the most important thing is preparation and, and boy he was the most prepared guy you ever saw um there are still some workhorse goalies in the league but but generally speaking you know more and more teams have gone to kind of that 1a 1b tandem arrangement um you know and then maybe you know when the playoffs come around they, they pick one guy for the postseason i mean do you think that that's a good thing for the game did you prefer seeing one guy who's really takes the ball and runs with it all year? Or do you think it's a good thing that, uh, you know, I mean, there, there are, I mean, you, you think about it, there's only, you know, what, like two goalies per team. So there are, there are a lot of, there are quality goalies around the league and just the sheer number of back-to-back -back three and four, four and six, you know, do, do you think it'll ever go back to most teams have their, their workhorse guy? Or do you think most teams are going to continue long-term with that one, a one B kind of arrangement? I, I, you know why I think it's because the number of teams and the amount of travel now, yeah. You know, the traveling is what knocks you out, you know, and, and time zone change and all. Uh, um, I believe Elaine Vigneault, I was talking to him one time, um, and he, when he was with the Rangers, I think he did a, a study on goalies that played 
50 games, 60 games, you know, 65 games, and how they there, how they uh, performed, and how good were they? And he found, or his staff found out for him that most goalies that played in and around 50 games a year were the most effective ones. You know, if you play too many, you get too tired. You know, so then if you're in the playoffs, you don't have a whole lot left. If you play too less, you're not really ready to get, get to get going. So that's right around the 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 kind of the the high water mark in my mind too is that especially with the traveling and the number of three and four nights that you're playing. Um, you know, the back to backs are just incredible now. Uh, yeah, they got charter planes and they fly everywhere. You know, we did a lot of commercial airlines. If we didn't have to play the next night, we played commercial. We flew commercial. So. But it's much more relaxing. But still, it's a wear and tear in your body. You don't get to practice, so that's what makes it really tough for that second goalie. You know, when you're you're going out west, you're playing Vancouver on a, let's say a Friday, you're playing Calgary on a Saturday, and then you play Edmonton on a Monday. Well, you know that Sunday, you know that's a day of rest. So you get to go out with the with the the, the black aces type of thing, the guys that don't play a lot. So. You don't get a whole lot of work, so that's where you have to really be a strong individual and, and push yourself to be to be that way. So I, I still think that you, you've got to have that strong um, number two guy. You know, I, I think if you don't, um, you know, we're in this to win, and I think coaches get nervous of playing that second guy because if he can't win for you, why would you play him? You know what I mean? And I think that's what's so important about that uh, one and one A guy. That one A guy has to be a pretty good player and he has to understand his position. And that's why I think you see more veteran guys in that position. You know, we got McElhaney here and he understands it really well. And he, he did a great job this year because he would be two weeks ready and going. And I know talking to the coaching staff and, and Franz Sean, our goalie coach, they would really try and get him in at least within 10 days, which sometimes is hard. But that was the big factor in, in trying to keep him fresh. And then when you're in the playoffs, you know, you don't travel as much. You know, you got one team that you go back and forth with. You're not going and hitting five cities in a week type of thing. And so I think we're always going to see that. I think that's that position is going to become more and more important the more effective it is. And McElhenney is a great example. In, in, um, when he was with uh, Carolina, too, same thing. Yeah. He can yep. go two, three weeks, and then he get, and then he'll give you still a quality start. And mentally, that's really difficult because you can't simulate game in practice. And no. that's what a goalie needs to stay sharp, especially rhythm goaltenders. So, um, Chief, last question for you. Um, and there's only certain guys that I ask this question to because they check the boxes that make them, uh, dare I say, worthy of this question. But you've been in this game for so long. Um, You've been, you played it forever growing up. Uh, you made it all the way to the NHL. Uh, you played in a glorious era and had tremendous success. You played with tremendous teammates. You moved into the booth seamlessly and became an incredible analyst here in Philadelphia and all your years in Tampa. Um, you're what I call a hockey lifer. So I asked this question to you to wrap up uh, your interview here today. What has hockey meant to you? Wow. <laughs> I get a little emotion after that buildup. Uh, it's everything. Everything I have today is the result of hockey. Everything. You know, I got a really nice little place on the water here in Tampa. I got a uh, great, I've, I've been, I've had the privilege of working under two unbelievable owners, Jeff Finnick right now and Ed Snyder. And, uh, you know, I've met some great people along the way. Uh, I think when I, you know what, it's funny, as you get older, you kind of reminisce and think back about that. I, I've been to Europe. I've been all over the North America uh, just because of hockey. And, uh, you know, not many people can say that, you know, you go there. I mean, I was with our Canadian national team when they first started their, their national team back in the mid sixties, uh, you know, everything. And I've had so many people, you should write a book. I says, well, yeah, but I'd have to write an A version and a real X-rated version <laughs> to make it authentic. But hockey has treated me so well. And that's why I think, I hope that I've treated it as well as uh, I can, because, uh, you know, it's a great game. I still get passionate about it. I still get emotional about the game. I still get fired up. I still get all upset with the referees. <laughs> I, I just, everything about the game and everything about the teams, are, are so special because 
I've gotten everything from them. And I, you know what? And I hope that you, when you do this and when you really, if you don't get into it and you don't have the passion for it, how can you relay the passion to that fan? Because it is a passionate game. If you don't have passion, you can't play this game to its utmost. If you don't have passion, you can't do the broadcast to its utmost. And that's what really has brought me to understand what I do because of the fact that I love this game so much that that's, it, it gave me everything. So I want to give it back. Oh God, that's so well said. You're making me emotional because to me, the game um, and the people that love it, like you, like Bill, like myself, like a lot of people listening, um, when you play this game and you're a part of it or you love this game, it's the people and it's the community yeah. and it's the, the life lessons. And, you know, I, I've been lucky enough to hand it down. My dad gave it to me. He, yeah. he handed me this game. I handed it to my son and I see what, and he's 13 going to be 14. I see it shaping him and from the locker room or teammates, the camaraderie that I got your back, the, the mentality, I got to work for everything I get. Uh, if I don't do well, I come out. If I do well, I get more, all of those things. I think they're life lessons. And I think that's why I love the game so much because it, of how it shapes individuals to not be individuals. You know, yes. it's odd in that way. You And, and like, you know, Fred Shiro said to you, you're playing for the guy next to you, you know, and it's yeah. not about you. It's about this collective. And I think that's so well said. And I appreciate your answer so much. And I appreciate you coming on because, um, and I just want to finish with this. And, and I mentioned it at the top in 1983, I remember being in the dressing room at the spectrum. And when we got to the finals of the Pepsi shootout, which was, we taped during the weekday and it would air during intermissions of the games. And you and Gene Hart came down. And you are so diligent about your craft. And my last name's Mertitas, and it's a mess, and everybody screws it up. But you guys came down and, and said, how do we pronounce it? And you guys didn't mess it up at all on the broadcast. <laughs> and, and Gene called me Mr. Zero at one point, and, and I made a save at one point. You're like, and Jason Mertitas makes a save just like he's picking cherries. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I had so, guys that I see that I played against in that Pepsi shootout still say, picking cherries so uh so it's it's great and uh you are, are, are a gem um i appreciate you coming on i know bill does as well flyer fans are going to love this bobby taylor thanks for taking the time today we really appreciate it i loved it guys thanks so much hey let's do it again special thanks to bobby taylor for joining us on this episode of flyers daily great for him to be able to recall so many different goaltenders throughout his broadcasting career and playing career and uh, always fun to talk to the Chief. In our final episode of Goalies Week, we're going to talk to the current Flyers goaltender, and it'll be on Monday's episode. That would be Carter Hart. So you can hear Carter Hart coming up on Monday as he prepares for his third NHL season, third season as a pro. Uh, stay tuned. That is to come on Monday, and hopefully more news about the return to play. In the meantime, everybody, enjoy your weekend. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you on Monday's episode of Flyers Daily. I was a little too tall, could have used a few pounds. Tight pants, points, hollering down. She was a black-haired beauty with big dark eyes. And points all her own, sudden way up high. Way up firm and high Out past the cornfields where the woods got heavy Out in the back seat of my 60 Chevy